Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Well, this morning we're going to start the book of Ruth. I'm super excited about the book of Ruth. And we will be in the book of Ruth right up until Christmas. Someone may ask, why are we doing this? Well, Ruth is a love story that ends with the birth of a baby in Bethlehem. Ruth tells us really why another baby was born in Bethlehem. The setting of Ruth is that of darkness, corruption, anarchy apostasy, and immense spiritual apathy. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but for now, know that Ruth is a shining love story that occurs in the very dark days of the judges. It's the story of an oasis of integrity and righteousness in a dry land of rebellion and immorality. It's the story of the grace of God, of redemption and restoration. The book tells of love. The book tells of devotion. As we preach through the book of Ruth, you will notice a lot of tears, some toil, trust, triumph. You're going to see the hand of God guiding the details of everyday life. Really, if we could summarize the book of Ruth, we could say it's a book that teaches us that we can go from being barren to being bountiful, from being broken to being blessed, from being bitter to becoming better, from being lonely to being loved. It is a great human love story. But it also tells of the great love of God that he has for his people and how he welcomes strangers into that love. While I was studying the book of Ruth, I found some interesting things. There are only two books in the entire Bible named after women. One would be Ruth, the other being the book of Esther. What's interesting is is that Esther begins with a wedding and ends with a funeral. The book of Ruth begins with a funeral and ends with a wedding. Esther is the story of a Jewish woman who marries a Gentile king. Ruth is the story of a Gentile woman who marries a Jewish man. So with that little bit of intro, let's dig in. You ready? Life is absolutely crazy. If you haven't run into a problem this past week, you might run into one on the way home. There are times when things just don't work out like we thought they would. Sometimes in life, things catch us by surprise. It could be like what happened to our beloved Sarah, your parent passes away. It could be that you went to the doctor and discovered that now you have a terminal illness. 
Could be that this week you were given a pink slip from work and you lost your job. Could be that you have a problem with a child that you didn't know about until you saw a text message that you probably shouldn't have seen. You see, when problems come, there are basically three ways that you and I can respond. We can face the problem and work through it. We can ignore the problem and pretend that it's not there. Or we can run from the problem and do all we can to try and avoid it. Elimelech. That's a good name. He's a man from Bethlehem. He has a wife and two sons and things fell apart for him and he had a choice to make. So instead of staying in the land that God had given, the the place where God had put him and worked through his problems, he loaded up the truck and moved out of Beverly. His name means my God is king. But he and his wife quickly, quickly realized that when you run from your problems, things may only get worse. So when times are tough and days are difficult, rather than running from our problems, maybe we should run to our provider. I want to take you to the book of Ruth this morning. And I wonder if you would take out your Bibles or maybe your phones or there's some Bibles in the seat pockets there underneath the seats and turn to Ruth chapter 1. And then as you're finding that, would you stand in the honor of reading God's holy word? I will be in Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And for the sake of those that struggle with names, I'm going to go just a little slow. Now it came to about in the days when the judges governed, that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife, Naomi. The name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. And the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. God, I beg you today to teach us from your book. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So why shouldn't we run from our problems? I think our text this morning kind of gives us three reasons why we shouldn't run from our problems. And here's the first one. When it's dark, we can follow his light. 
When it's dark, we can follow his light. Back in verse 1, the Bible says this. Now, it came about in the days when the judges governed. This is approximately 1375 to 1050 B.C. During this time, Israel was at a very low point morally and spiritually. The times could be summed up by maybe these verses, Judges 17.6 and 21.25. Judges 17.6 says this, In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Judges 21.25. In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. But to understand really what that means, to understand it was in the days where the judges governed, to understand Ruth chapter 1 verse 1, we need to have some context. And in doing so, we're going to see that we can still trust God and not run from our problems. So what is it that really was happening? Just maybe a couple of examples of what was really happening to tell us that it was during the time of the judges when they were governing. Well, we have to look back to Judges, and so we're going to look at Judges 17 and 18, and here's what we're going to find out. You can trust God when some are loving other false gods and leaving the one faithful God. In Judges chapter 17 and 18, we find an idolater named Micah and a nameless Levite who had fallen from the religion of Israel and was a priest for hire. Micah carved molten images, and he had a shrine full of household idols. So a Levite from Bethlehem comes to Ephraim, where Micah lived, and Micah hires him to be his personal priest. Well, the price was a little bit of money, a new suit of clothes, and some food. Then the Danites, they come to Micah's house, and they steal his idols and they take his priest. What this tells us is that Israel is in gross sin spiritually. They're worshiping idols and making religion something that's satisfying and comfortable. This is a very man-made religion with man-made idols. And just know this, that man-made religion will always disappoint and fail to deliver what you and I are looking for, also what we truly need. But really what's staggering is that while there's sin among the people, even worse, the spiritual leaders have become men for hire and have sold their souls and they're calling for power, for pleasure and prestige. But just as in those times as it is today, when there's much idolatry and there's much turning from God and worshiping false gods, we can trust the one true God because he won't fail us. But then we have to look at Judges chapter 19 through 21. And here we learn that we can trust God when some are rampant with lust and rebelling against God's laws. Chapters 19 through 21 of Judges contain some of the worst events in Israel's history. There are going to be some strong language here, but I'm trying to tone it down for our young ears, but I will be faithful to the text. Here we find that a Levite took a woman of the night for himself. But being that kind of woman, she turned around and did her behavior against him when they got back to Bethlehem. He goes after her, and after numerous delay tactics by her father, 
he leaves her and eventually goes to spend the night in a place called Gebeah. But in Gebeah, perverted, evil, homosexual men of the tribe of Benjamin come to the house where he's staying and they want to engage him in their immoral activity. So we find these words in Judges chapter 19, verses 22 through 29. While they were celebrating, behold, the men of the city, certain worthless fellows, surrounded the house, pounding the door. And they spoke to the owner of the house, the old man, saying, Bring out the man who came into your house that we may have relations with him. Then the man, the owner of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my fellows, please don't act so wickedly. Since this man is coming to my house, do not commit this act of folly. Here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. Please let me bring them out that you may ravish them and do to them whatever you wish, but do not commit such an act of folly against this man. But the man would not listen. So the man seized his concubine and brought her out to them, and they raped her and abused her all night until morning, and then let her go at the approach of dawn. As the day began to dawn, the woman came and fell down at the doorway of the man's house where her master was until daylight. When her master arose in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way, then behold, his concubine was lying at the doorway of the house with her hands on the threshold. That's some dark stuff. That's what's going on when Ruth is written. It tells us that there's rampant lust and there's rebelling against God's laws. But then in Judges chapter 20, there's war of the tribes of Israel against Benjamin because of this gross evil. And thousands are slaughtered and the tribe of Benjamin was almost completely annihilated. Judges 21 contains Israel's attempt to save Benjamin. To do so, they had murdered the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead who hadn't fought against Benjamin. They spared 400 virgins for the men of Benjamin. And later they allowed the men of Benjamin to take daughters from Shiloh at an annual feast without any restraints. Here's the point. Rampant lust and rebellion against the rules of God just reigned in the day. God was not even a thought, even an afterthought in their morals. The lives of God's covenant people were no different than their pagan neighbors. And yet God can be trusted. He is needed as the object of our affection and our devotion, even when times are evil, even in days like we're living in now. Students, can I get you to listen to me just for a moment? You may be tempted to run from God's laws, you may be tempted to follow your own lust when, because everyone else is doing what's right in their own eyes. You may feel like everyone else is just doing whatever they want to do, so why not you? Can I tell you? You are not called to do your own thing. You're called to do God's thing. We're not called to follow our own laws or forget God's laws. We're called to follow God's laws. We're not called to do what's right in our own eyes. We're called to do what's right in God's eyes. I want to encourage you today that when you think you're the only one holding out and being faithful, and it can be just easy to give in what's going on in the culture, can I just remind you that that's not the case because there's always a Boaz in the land. 
Boaz is a man that we'll learn about later. He follows God with all of his heart. He does what is right in God's eyes, even in the midst when so many others are just running after pagan gods. And the Lord blesses him. And listen to me, the Lord will bless you if you do the same. When it's dark, you can follow the light. I have the light of the word of God, so I don't have to forsake the Lord and turn to sin. No matter where others are, there are some who just aren't following the nonsense of our culture. We can be led to a Boaz just like Ruth. The sovereign hand that put Ruth in the right place at the right time, and she found a man that loved God and was faithful to him, can happen to you. God can lead you when it's dark, follow his light. Why? Why should we trust God? Why should we trust God when it's dark? Because let me tell you something. God's always working in the dark. You might not be able to see it, friends, but God's working in the dark. Here's what I want to tell you, something else. When I'm desperate, I can follow his leading. When I'm desperate, I can follow his leading. There's a famine in the land, the text tells us. That's a severe crisis because in the ancient world, death by starvation was a real possibility. Ironically, the place with no bread is Bethlehem. The place of Bethlehem, the the meaning of the word Bethlehem means literally house of bread. So the place that was supposed to be the house of bread now has no bread. But it's interesting because the prodigal family leaves the house of bread and the house of praise and they go to eat out of a garbage can called Moab. Moab is referred to in the scripture as God's wash pot, where God would discard of nasty things. Moab, for your own information, is modern-day Jordan. Financial ruin now converts, confronts many of the inhabitants of Bethlehem, and just finding food now is a, a challenge. So when trouble hits, How should we respond? Well, first, we just acknowledge the word, man. Acknowledge the word. A man named Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, decides that the best course of action is to run from his problem. He gathers up his wife, Naomi, and his two sons, and he heads for an expansive grain-filled plateau of Moab, which is on the other side of the Dead Sea. It's a reasonable decision. But it's not a faith decision. It's reasonable, but it's based on fear, not based on faith. You see, the problem is, is that this is in direct violation of God's word. Moab was Israel's enemy and the real land of famine. Here reigned the god Chemosh. And and these people entered the land of promise. and, And these people, they led God's people into immorality under the false leadership of a king named Balak and the false prophet named Balaam. And for 18 years, Moab oppressed Israel during the time of Judges. God was not in his moving to Moab. Running to Moab of all places was clear evidence that this man Elimelech made a deliberate decision to disobey God's word. From a human perspective, The grass usually looks greener on the other side. I mean, hey, you wouldn't bad this man. I mean, his family is starving. Wouldn't you go where the food is? 
unless God said no. And God had said no. We're to walk by faith and not by sight. We're to trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to what? Trust and obey. You see, I want to teach you something today. When we're in times of severe despair and running from our problems seems to be the only way out, can I just get a witness today? Let me tell you something. It is better to be famished in the will of God than to be full out of it. It is better to go hungry in the will of God than to be full outside of it, friends. Elimelech name means my God is king, but he sure won't act like it. And when you and I disobey God's word and choose to just deny it and do our own thing and run from our problems and run to what the culture says, you and I don't act like our God is king either. Listen, there was a move to Moab. There was a marriage, but there was also a ton of misery. And you have to acknowledge that the word of God had already spoken about this because in Psalm 37, 25, David said this, I've been young and I've been old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. Beloved, when you're desperate, let the Lord lead you with his word. Can I just get, I'm about to get, I'm about to get excited about this. There's always a word in the word. There's always a word in the word, friends. When it's dark and you're desperate, there's always a word in the word. Let God lead you. Just acknowledge the word. But then secondly, act on some wisdom. In verse 1, he says, they, they went to sojourn in the land of Moab. In verse 2, it says, and they remained there. <laughs> That word sojourn means to live as a stranger, to visit, to, to stay temporarily. But then in verse 2, they remain. In other words, while he met, might have went to flirt with sin, now he ended up making it his home. It's one thing to disobey God's word and to run from the problem. It's a whole other thing to stay there. And as a result of staying in Moab, this invited God's discipline. And can I tell you something? It is never wise to play with the discipline of God. Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 clearly teach that God would curse his covenant people with famine and other judgments if they disobeyed God, the Lord and served other gods. The famine that was here was God's judgment on Israel. Elimelech then not only shows a lack of faith, but he shows a lack of wisdom. Can I tell you why? Because only a fool would believe that you can run from the discipline of God. Elimelech led his family straight into sin. And because of that, he would suffer severely. It's never wise to think you can run from your problems and not have to deal with the consequences. I want to share with you something. Maybe you've heard it before, but I have this written all over my Bibles. This is something I've carried with me for years and years and years, and I want to tell you something. I want you to write this down. I want you to take this. I want you to remember this because this is not the Word of God, but it is so true about the Word of God. Can I tell you something today? Watch this right here. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll teach you more than you want to know. 
It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. Can I tell you, folks, running from your problems is not the answer. Let me give you some hope that when I'm desperate, I can follow his leading. And when I'm tempted to live by my feelings and not by faith, when my logic is louder than the Lord, I can remember that Ruth was led to a field and she received all that she could ever eat and even more because she followed the leading of the Lord. And she met a name, Boaz, who happened to own a field, and she got all the bread she ever needed. It's been said, church, listen to me. It's been said that every day away from Jesus will take you three days to get back. Every day away from Jesus will take you three days to get back. Where do I find that? You remember the story about Joseph and Mary? They had gone on a day's journey. And they got away from Jesus. They were a day's journey out, but it took them three days to get back to where Jesus was. And I just tell you, man, that one day away from Jesus would take you three days to get back. But you don't have to do that because you have a word. Psalm 119.105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Beloved, do not pick up and run at the first sign of trouble. When you run away from your problems, they just run after you. The heart of the problem is always a problem of the heart. So ask yourself, what does God's word say about this? And then what is God trying to teach me? I'm about to, get another, I'm about to get another time of witnessing. Here we go. Listen to me. Here's something you want to write down. Sometimes we're trying to get out of our problems instead of getting something out of our problems. Sometimes we pray, God, get me out of this problem. And God's saying, I want you to get something out of this problem. In times of trouble, we need to acknowledge and have faith in the word of God. In times of trouble, we need to act with wisdom and gain the ability to see God's perspective and then act accordingly. And very quickly, lastly, when I'm devastated, I can feel his love. When I'm devastated, I can feel his love. In verses three through five, things go from bad to worse. Bad in Bethlehem to worse in Moab. But even in this, the hand of God, although silent, is moving in big ways. And here's two things I want you to see. First of all, he is working even in unexpected loss. Verse three says this, that then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Verse three is just so short and concise. It seems sudden. And as you know, the death of a maid is so tragic. The death of a maid in a foreign place away from home is even more so. But as we will see, even in this unexpected loss, God is at work. And attention now moves away from Elimelech to his wife, Naomi. Her life, her future, her destiny now becomes the crucial concern of the book. A family facing famine has fled to find food, but instead has found death. Could God be working in a time like this? Yes, he is. Just as there's an unexpected loss, 
there will also be an unexpected blessing. A kinsman redeemer. Hope, provision, and blessings are right around the corner because God in his love is always working when we go through unexpected losses. But here's something else. He's working even in unimaginable loss. Not just unexpected loss, but unimaginable loss because verses four and five tell us that now their sons marry. Now both of the sons die. Their names, Malon, who marries Ruth, his name means sickly. Chilion, who marries Orpah, means spent, death, or destruction. Now, whether those names were given at birth because they were poor in health or they were names given to them sometime later, the names tell us a story of a premature death and much sorrow. But then they marry Moabites, women from Israel's enemy, a people that Deuteronomy 23 says is not even enter into the assembly of the Lord for 10 generations. Thus we're grieved, but we're not stunned to read in verses four and five that after 10 years of marriage and no children, both boys die and Naomi is left alone. Naomi suffers a triple bereavement. She is alone, she's old, and apparently has no hope, but yet can we fast forward to the end to get a glimpse of the rest of the story? Ruth chapter four, verses 14 through 21 tell us some things. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi, so they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hedron. To Hedron was born Ram. To Ram, Amenadab. To Amenadab was born Nashon. To Nashon, Salmon. And to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz, Obed. You see, when I'm devastated, I can feel his love. When all hope seems gone and I have nothing, I feel abandoned and my heart is broken. I can know that God is working because Ruth finds the true love of her life. And Naomi was, be able, was able to be loved by a kinsman redeemer and then love some precious kids. God used a family, a famine, and a funeral to bring somebody to faith in God. And beloved, what you may be going through is God's way of bringing others to know him. Isaiah 55, 8 says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. There is absolutely nothing wasted in your life. Can I tell you that today? God wastes nothing in your life. Psalm 56, 8 says this, you have taken account of my wanderings. You have put my tears in your bottle and are they not in your book? God sees every single tear you cry. Nothing is wasted because he loves you. He sees the beginning from the end and he's working everything for your good and for his glory. So when you and I are tempted to run and when it's dark, you can follow his light. When you're desperate, you can follow his leading, and when you're devastated, you can feel 
his love. Jeremy, I wonder if you guys would come. So a famine and three funerals don't indicate to me that God is at work. I mean, the death of three people in Naomi's life on the surface seems to indicate that all is lost. But you know, so did the death of the Son of God on a cross. It seemed on the surface to indicate that all was lost. But like Ruth, I want you to remember the rest of the story. Out of Christ's despair came our hope. Out of Christ's seeming defeat came our victory. Out of Christ's sorrow came our joy. Out of Christ's death came our life. In times that are dark, follow his light. In times of desperation, follow his leading. In times of devastation, feel his love. Because who knows? Who knows what God may be up to? You just may be on the path from being broken to being blessed. I want to tell you today that there is a Redeemer and His name is Jesus. If you, like Ruth, have experienced, I mean, and Naomi have experienced a lot of loss, a lot of pain in your life, and you're wondering what this is all about, can I tell you that there's an ultimate answer for death? You see, the Bible says that you and I have sinned against God, and the wages of that sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That God demonstrates his love in this, that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you and I should be saved. I wonder if you'd stand to your feet with me. If you need the Lord Jesus Christ today, and you want to move from a place of brokenness to being blessed, I encourage you to come take us by the hand and we'll lead you to know Christ. But this altar is also open for anybody who may be running. Maybe it's time to come home. Or maybe this is a place today where this altar will be. You've run and you're facing some consequences. And you're wondering, can God's grace be greater than your sin? Can I tell you, it is. It's called amazing grace. And you can find that today. I'm going to say a quick prayer. And I wonder, would you respond as we sing? Father, would you minister to your people? And I pray it in Jesus' name.